You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Everyone knows that moving to a new country brings new challenges. You're adapting to a new culture, finding a house, starting a new job. Even the climate requires adjustment. But for people with a disability, those challenges are multiplied. Countries like Australia and New Zealand require migrants and some refugees to satisfy health requirements that many believe are discriminatory and ableist. Today, we speak to Anya Kelly-Costolo about disability and migration and how the two intersect. Anya discusses her podcast, Disability Crosses Borders, and shares her own migration experience. Anya also analyzes the acceptable standard of health requirements, a visa condition they've described as lengthy, expensive, stressful, and degrading. And now let's go to Anya as she shares her migration story. Hey everyone, so my name is Anya. Um, I'm a disabled person. I was born blind. I was born in Ireland and that's where my family lived till I was five. Then we moved to Canada. Um, and so I um, continued my education there and we moved to Aotearoa, New Zealand when I was nine. So that's where I mostly grew up. And, and I'm currently based in Norway. So, in terms of migration, I think a couple of things um, feel like they really shaped me. Um, when moving from Canada to Aotearoa, the context at school was suddenly really different and the way that um, I guess kids interacted with my blindness and um, saw kind of uh, the role of teasing and telling jokes and um, what to take seriously and sort of this ability to um, maybe say things that I didn't necessarily find so funny that they would call joking um, really hit me in, in Aotearoa um, and I became kind of hyper aware of, of being blind for the first time so that was one thing and another thing was that um, my parents managed to keep this a secret for, from me when I was uh, a child which I'm very grateful for but they actually had to go through a huge ordeal in order to get my um, residence, well, my student visa and then my residence in Aotearoa, because the country has a policy where um, if disabled people need to use um, education services, like to have a teacher aid or um, this kind of thing, um, basically there's a funding scheme for that. And if you're eligible for that, or if you're going to probably need health services, in the view of Immigration New Zealand's medical assessors, um, which may not be your view at all, um, then you're basically assigned a cost and you're seen as an economic burden to the country. Um, so it becomes incredibly difficult to be able to stay. Um, and that was the case for us. And we very luckily managed to be able to, um, but that could have very easily been different. And, you know, there's this discriminatory and ableist regulations have been in place for like a couple decades now um, and are still harming families all the time so um, yeah those policies really need to change and in Australia it's a very similar situation to in Aotearoa. Right so you said that your parents didn't tell you some of the challenges that they were facing in making sure that you know things were accessible for you but also 
coming into the country and, and getting a visa. Um, who do they turn to for support? Um, so at the time, this was back in the early 2000s, there wasn't the sense of community we have around this now. And I'm really glad we are starting to build a community of family and disabled people affected. Um, obviously, we shouldn't have to, but it's really good that there is a community because that did not exist before. Um, so at the time, I know that they went around because one thing you have to do in order to do this whole like proving your worth thing, which is mm. um, really inhumane and degrading, uh, is gather up a whole bunch of letters of recommendation. And I've actually seen some of those now. And so they went to a whole lot of different people um, in order to basically get letters saying like, oh, look, Anya is very academic and musical and sporty and like, you know, I shouldn't have to be any of those things um, mm. to just have my value and my human rights respected. But um, yeah, so they ended up getting a lot of letters um, around that. And I don't really think they had a lot of other people to turn to, um, to the best of my knowledge. But basically what my mom um, told me later when I kind of asked her, you know, why was it that you didn't tell me? And she said, well, how could you tell a child that their country didn't want them? <laughs> like, that's a pretty awful thing to have to tell to to your kid right 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 100% like I mean for me it's a bit different because I came here as a refugee but there were things that I obviously I don't recall much from my refugee experience but my mom does and there's a lot that she didn't tell me and that's that's basically to um I guess protect my childhood if she did tell me the extent to which you know the obstacles that she had to go through to get to here it would be very overwhelming for such a young person. Do you know what I mean? So I totally Absolutely. Get it. And I think, you know, what's really painful now is that so many of the mechanisms that people are basically being obliged to resort to in order to build public pressures to help to basically convince Immigration New Zealand and the Associate Minister, um, Phil Twyford, who's able to make exemptions, one of the things people are needing to resort to is public pressure in the form of media and and petitions and things like that. Mm. Um, so that's, there's no secrets when that's happening. Um, and I mean, nobody should have to do that to have to, you know, be advocating um, to have MP support, to gather signatures on petitions, um, to have to share their story again and again in the media. And just, yeah, for their human rights to be respected and for um, Altira to, change this policy to end the acceptable standard of health requirements and you know recognize migrants strengths yeah. and contributions yeah absolutely and i can't wait for us to to get into what those health requirements are because i did do a bit of reading right. but obviously there's um more that you can tell me but before we do that i know you mentioned that your obviously your family didn't have the same community support networks available but i like to think that your podcast and your blog disability crosses borders um, is creating that kind of community uh online can you tell me more about disability crosses borders and the kind of conversations that you're trying to have yeah sure so i might just back up a little bit to um the start of the pandemic because this was part of the genesis of how disability crosses borders came about uh so as I mentioned, I, I grew up in Aotearoa. It's the country I feel most attached to. But at the start of the pandemic, I had been studying in Sweden. So I was doing a master's there. And then in the meantime, my parents who uh, you know, came from kind of the Northern hemisphere and all their family are back here. 
on this side of the world, um, I'm currently based in Norway, uh, had moved to Norway. And basically when the pandemic, the borders were closing, I ended up coming to Norway um, and moving in with them rather than going back to Aotearoa. So I ended up kind of randomly ending up <laughs> in another new country without that being the plan. And then um, I got long COVID. So um, got chronic illness out of out of having COVID-19, which has, you know, impacted my life a lot. And so it's been great to have my parents support. But it's kind of meant that I've spent the whole pandemic pretty much in my bedroom um, in the house in Norway, which um, I feel very safe and supported here, as I mentioned. But um, I am also kind of dislocated um, from <laughs> basically all of my other, you know, friends and communities in a in an in-person sense. So I guess I really have tried to embrace like what can I do online um, and what can I maybe do to start to yeah build some of that community and give other disabled people who've moved around a lot um, who've lived um, or, or who may have just like lived between cultures in different ways right like whose parents might be migrants or refugees and they may have always grown up in the same place but um, their life has been kind of shaped by um, diaspora or um, yeah by living between cultures so starting those kind of conversations um, and each one has been quite different so um, just being able to explore how those themes of identity kind of relate to people's lives and maybe some of their work like some people are in more kind of disability or mental health advocacy in some respects and some people are not like there was one episode with um, social work students, which um, is like a, in, in a sense, a form of advocacy. But in another sense, um, the I think the kind of key thing was that their identity um, as, you know, as an asylum seeker and um, as someone whose parents were migrants, the, the two um, who I interviewed kind of came into wanting to be part of that profession because you know, in, in some considerable part because of that and linked to that. Mm. Um, also talking about people's, you know, education and how that was shaped by migration, because that, that's been a really, um, like, constant theme, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and just different themes around, like, I guess, precarity or being in a kind of precarious situation or different forms of privileges and oppressions. So, yeah, it's been really wide-ranging conversations, um, and I um, have really appreciated being able to, like, uh, it's, you know, it's still a small platform, but being able to try to make them a bit more visible, because I think there's so many of us disabled people um, who have been shaped in some way by crossing borders or by cultures um, intersecting in different ways, um, and it's just really not common, I think, to see those conversations <laughs> reflected in um, mainstream media. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like it's it's pretty radical, and even the way it's set up as well in terms of accessibility. You know, you transcribe all the material, and it's a blog as well, so you get both audio and then you get the um, transcription, which I don't often see that coming together. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm. Um, making it accessible is really important to me so um have made like a a blog piece from each podcast episode which is kind of um you know you could say it's like a kind of like a, a feature article and then a full transcript as well and what's worked out really nicely is that i am working with 
um, a team of wonderful volunteers who are also helping me out with the transcript um, because the accessibility is super important to me. And I also realized that I myself didn't always have capacity to be able to do the full transcripts as well as I would have liked to because mm -hmm. um, I'm also yeah chronically ill. Um, so it's been super great having that and starting to build a community there. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Woman on the Line. So let's look at New Zealand. Um, what are the health requirements that migrants and some refugees are expected to satisfy in order to be able to get a visa? Yeah, so basically, if you, as I kind of mentioned before, if you are eligible for um, what's called the ongoing resourcing scheme, so education um, support, specialist education support, or for health services um, costing in excess of a certain um, cost threshold, which happens to be $41,000, um, then you are basically needing to prove your worth in order to be able to stay. It's not completely impossible, but um, it's extremely difficult and it's extremely degrading. Um, there's a bit more to it than that. They're a bit more mm. complicated than that, but that's the that's the gist. Um, and also just because you've got one visa, so just because you got in on a student or a work visa absolutely does not mean that you'll get residence. Um, so that's another issue. Um, and these processes are extremely drawn out um, often with like long periods of uncertainty. And when people are going through them as well, um, depending on the situation, but very often there's a huge financial toll, um, you know, in terms of needing to get lawyers uh, on board in order to help argue the case. Um, sometimes people are left in a situation because of their visas where they're not able to work or study. Mm. Um, and so that's one part. And another part is just like the huge mental health aspect of having to like prove that you're valuable. Like these are people who, um, you know, are coming to Aotearoa um, and really wanting to just, you know, contribute and, and put down roots and, and settle. And instead of being able to do that, um, they're left in this horrible limbo for sometimes up to like seven, eight years um, because wow. of this policy. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think we miss out when we focus on like health requirements instead of the individual? Yeah, I think we miss seeing the broad diversity of strengths and contributions um, that migrants and refugees can bring to the country. Um, like when you consider that people, you know, whether it's through schools or, you know, through workplaces and being colleagues or um, through caring and, um, you know, family and community networks, um, through being part of, of neighborhoods, um, of clubs, of whatever it may be, um, people contribute in so, so many different ways um, to the fabric of society. And um, whether that's that breadth of, of cultures, um, breadth of just experiences that people can bring from, from other countries. Um, we really miss out on that. And to be honest, we worsen people's health outcomes as well, because mm -hmm. instead of people actually being able to focus on that um, and focus on, you know, um, bringing their best selves to Aotearoa, um, they're needing to fight this policy, which 
I know from talking to many people and many families who've gone through this is an extremely time consuming and draining uh, thing to have to do. And I loved what you said earlier about how at the beginning when they were trying to justify why you should get a visa, it was because of all the amazing stuff that you were doing. And it just got me thinking, you know, why do we have to be exceptional to be able to, yes. to be seen as worthy? Can you can you say more on that? Yeah, you just summed it up super well. <laughs> um, but um, basically, you know, the, the framing that Immigration New Zealand would like people to use is basically that they contribute economically to the country and that they are, you know, healthy and that this is the type of migrant that we want to have is um, that only economic contributions um, and only good health um, are, you know, valued. And that's um, that's kind of a modern form of eugenics to, to look at a population that way and, and basically be rooting out um, people who, who are disabled or have health conditions. And I know for me, when I found out about you know, what my parents went through, I, I was so uncomfortable. I mean, I remember mom basically saying, you know, thank God you were um, academic and musical and sporty and whatever, like, thank God, because obviously that shouldn't have had to be necessary, but that probably helped. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing that I felt very uncomfortable about, but also thank God for my own, you know, my family's own situation is that my dad had an academic position um, at a university so he had you know um, he was highly educated um, has a PhD and um, he had quite a mm. kind of privileged position in that sense and so we were able to kind of argue that that was um, one of the types of contributions that immigration New Zealand might look on a bit more favorably mm. um, because there were less or, or like fewer people maybe in in his field um, and he was highly skilled um, but yeah, we shouldn't have had to be proving, um, you know, my worth at all and having to, having to make that fight. Um, yeah. yeah. Well said. Um, so let's put a few more faces to the issue. So there's Ruby Rose O'Connor, who you talk about in your article. So what audiences should know is she was born in New Zealand, but she was denied a permanent visa because of like the health costs of her um, condition, but she's not the only case who's made headlines. What can you share about these other stories? And if you have any updates, that would be great as well. Yeah, um, so many, honestly. Um, and for, for everyone that's in the media, there's probably like at least five more that, you know, that I know about. And then there's so many more as well that I know that we won't know about um so just for context there but um so one family that's um been torn apart frankly by the health requirements um and remember these are basically health and education requirements even though they're not called that um is the alfonso family so um ariana alfonso is autistic um an autistic child she's 12 uh, and her parents are Gail and Alan, um, and they're a Filipino family. And Alan has been um, working in Aotearoa um, in the, the housing construction area where it's uh, really hard to get people for the last seven, six, seven years. Um, and Gail and Ariana have been stuck in the Philippines um, because Immigration New Zealand won't give 
Ariana residency um, because she's autistic and she'd be eligible for um, the education support. So this family have been separated for half of Ariana's life, like since she was six, um, you know, with, with the father in, in Aotearoa. And that's completely, you know, inhumane. Uh, in another instance, um, Carolina Vasquez and her family um, are Chilean and they've been trying to settle in Aotearoa for seven years. And um, their daughter Ignacia, um, who's 17, has a, a learning disability, intellectual disability. And um, again, same, same deal, um, really hard to get you know, immigration New Zealand to just see, see her as a human being with, with human rights under um, instruments like the uh, UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, no less, mm -hmm. um, and to grant her residency. So yeah, that family, um, you know, they've been in limbo and fighting with immigration for seven years, like constantly. Um, so we're really, um, I'm part of a, I'm part of an advocacy, advocacy group um, that we're all part of, um, who've been impacted called Migrants Against ASH. So ASH stands for Acceptable Standard of Health, which are these requirements we want to get rid of. And Migrants Against ASH is really urging um, Minister Twyford, the Associate Minister of Immigration, um, to make exemptions uh, for these families um, because we're ultimately fighting to scrap, um, to get rid of the Acceptable Standard of Health altogether. But um, in the meantime, um, you know, the minister should use his discretion and um, allow these families to um, settle in, in Aotearoa. Amazing. And thank you so much for sharing their stories and for um, ampl amplifying their stories as well. I think it's so important because, you know, we hear about the figures, we hear about the stats, but sometimes we can get lost in the numbers and not see the individuals and not see their dreams and hopes and that kind of thing. I might just mention one one other aspect, if that's okay with you, on the Absolutely. kind of what is made invisible. Um, because um, Carla, who is a mother from Ecuador, um, who tried, well, she moved to Australia. Um, her son was born in Australia. So similar to Ruby Rose being born in Aotearoa, her son was born in Australia. And despite that, um, because he had a health condition, um, the Australian immigration authorities, which I can't remember the name of, sorry, but they didn't, um, you know, they wouldn't grant him residency. So their family wasn't able to stay. Um, and she was telling me, you know, how many families are in these situations where once, once you find out like that, you, and you don't have it in you to fight for years and years and years and years. So you end up just leaving um, because you know it will be such a long battle. Um, and you, how many families are invisible in that way. Um, so why I also wanted to highlight um, her example is because I, um, I will also give you her Twitter handle because she is now doing her PhD uh, in Spain into these discriminatory health requirements in Australia in particular, but um, also experiences of people in Aotearoa will be incorporated in there. Um, so she's really keen to hear from others who've experienced this uh, immigration discrimination in Australia. Um, so yeah, I'll give I'll give you her Twitter so that if any listeners um, are aware of um, or have been affected, um, then you could get in touch with her if you'd like to do that. So Carla's Twitter handle, if you would like to get in touch with her, I'm gonna spell it and then it's gonna be 
in in the show notes as well um, is at b u r b a n o h i n o j o s a um, so at urbano inojosa and if I can just give a very quick plug to to the campaign to get rid of the ash requirements, um, if anyone would like to support us, um, so you can use the hashtag #EndAshNow, uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at #EndAshNow. Uh, same for Facebook.com/EndAshNow, um, and our website um, EndAshNow.org. Um, email EndAshNow at gmail.com. So hopefully you get the idea, and uh, we'd love your support and sharing the word for the campaign. And that was Anya Kelly Costolo. Anya is a disabled migrant, storyteller, consultant, and campaigner. You can listen to their podcast at disabilitycrossesborders.com. If you'd like to know more about their campaign to end the health requirement condition, go to endashnow.wordpress.com. Follow the campaign on Twitter at endashnow. We'll share all this information on our Woman on the Line page at 3cr.org.au forward slash Woman on the Line. Woman on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate the financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womanontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website 3cr.org.au forward slash Women on the Line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Taking us out now is Sampa the Great with I Am Me. I'm Ian Shirwa and you've been listening to Women on the Line. Again, looking at the mirror, making sure it's all the same. Has it been a year, making sure I understand that I'm looking here in the place of where I am? Breathe, cheers to the lone night sessions, cheers to the time they turn to confessions. When you write your fears and hopes on the paper, music is the way I acknowledge the maker. Fortunately, it's my art, what you listen to is my heart. I probably lose heart because I shared so much. I probably lose friends because I care about my people more than catching our stars. Peace to the ones on my side, there's my eagles. Peace to the ones bridging gaps of the people. No, my strength don't come from the evil. I sing songs from my heart. Cause I am me From the day I started To the day I departed All that I want to be I am me From the day I started To the day I departed All that I want to be I am me I ain't going nowhere I ain't going nowhere It's all that I want to I am me I ain't going nowhere I ain't going nowhere It's all that In a part of gold, with it cause of heart and soul. With it in the end for the lessons I know. With it for the strength that I see, I hold. With it in the eye, I see deeper than the eye. Glitter in gold, not eye. 
wondering why Now I really understand why Music is still my life Yes, it's the greatest Now I sing high on my greatest All my kids in my praises Yes, it's amazing Negativity is fading Positive anticipation Feeling like My joy comes in the morning You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.